Good morning. Hello. Hello. Good morning, New Life Manitou. I'm so glad to see all of you. I say that. That's an irony. I'm cleaning my glasses. I couldn't see any of you. Um, I'm legally blind. Uh, I am. Let's pray as we begin. Jesus. 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 Your name is honey on our lips. You are the one who is not shifting sand beneath our feet, but you're a rock that we stand on and we are stable and firm. And so we center ourselves right now in your presence and invite your spirit to wake us up, that you're here in this place and we were not aware of it. And so we need gospel this morning. We need good news. And so we ask that you would speak it to us. Change our lives. May you speak love and beauty and truth and goodness into us so that love and beauty and truth and goodness could flow through us into our families, into our neighborhoods, into our city, and into this world. We ask these things because of your great mercy. Come speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen and amen. I've never been up here before. For us. You guys feel so far away. I'm with you. I'm with you, guys. Anyway, um, you guys can go ahead and turn in to Revelation 19 and 20. Uh, that's where we're going to be. We're finishing up. We're coming to the very end of Revelation. Um, it's been a week hasn't it? Yeah. It's been a week. Some of us come into the room this morning feeling like um, excited and optimistic, and some of us come into the room this morning feeling anxious and troubled. But can we all just agree on, I think there's one thing that we can all agree on this morning. Going to the dentist is the worst. <laughs> Isn't it? It's like the absolute worst. A few years ago, I had a tooth in the back, back here, top left uh, molar in the back of my mouth. And uh, it was a molar that ended, had ended up becoming, uh, through my teenage years and stuff, it had be- ended up becoming more filling than tooth. And um, at some point, anyone have one of those that it's like, yeah, I just got a bunch of filling crammed up there in the back? Um, yeah, too, yeah. And anyway, at some point, it had like dislodged and fallen out. I don't know how. And um, it was like this gnarly gangle in the back of my, like, uh, like the, the garden of the gods is up there in the back left of my, my mouth. And uh, it was really annoying, but it wasn't annoying enough to go to the dentist. Um, I like would try to like brush it, you know, as best I could get the, it was like literally like you'd go up inside of it. And I'm like, ah, I'll just be careful. I'll chew with this side of my mouth. But then about, um, but then at, it was like, I think 2015, at some point, one evening I decided to have some popcorn and I was sitting there and I'm just going to eat. I've done it before, and I'm going to eat on this side of my mouth. And at some point, I bit down on a kernel in just the right spot, and it went up inside, and you could feel it crack. In, it was in... T- the bro- that sucker broke in half. 
and it started hurting a little almost immediately, but by the next time, by the next day, it was, um, you know what kind of pain it was. It's like, you've, we've all felt it. The dentist is the worst, but it's not worse than this. <laughs> that pain that's like hot and pressing and like deep and apocalyptic in, the, in like your mouth and you're just like, oh, that pain hurts. And so it was the weekend. I thought I'm just gonna like, it, it was bad enough pain that I was like Googling emergency dentist. And you know, that's always a bad weekend when you're having, when you're Googling emergency dentist. Turns out emergency dentists are stupid expensive. Um, and so I ended up waiting somehow a couple of days. And I, when I finally got to see a regular dentist, he did X, he did the x-rays and he like went poking around in my mouth with that pointy thing. And then he, he rendered his judgment. He rendered his judgment. We got to yank that thing. It's got to come out. If you want the pain to stop, this is what you're going to need. You're going to need an extraction. That broken tooth has got to go. And you know what I did? I don't have a tooth there anymore. <laughs> they yanked that thing. Of course, it was the best decision of my life. I, it, was, it was awful. I don't recommend it. But like, I, it was better than that pain. Um, Going to the dentist is the best. It's the absolute best. When you get to this kind of degree of pain and suffering, you're just like, ah, the worst thing ends up becoming ah, the, the best thing. We're in Revelation 19 and 20 this morning, and I think the, the same strange relationship that we have with dentists is the same strange relationship that we have with judgment. Um, and judgment, final ultimate judgment is what finally arrives for the world in chapters 19 and 20 of Revelation. And when we hear the word judgment, especially in like relationship to the Bible or church or whatever, most of us, like we have the same reaction that we do with a dentist, don't we? We're like, uh, can we talk about something else this morning? The judgment of God, ultimate judgment, lake of fire sorts of stuff that we're in. Can we talk about something else? We think of um, like a self-righteous person who's like real, this is like their favorite passage in the Bible, and they're like looking down their nose at other people judge. Oh, I know where you're going one day. Um, many of us grew up, uh, I did, growing up hearing about a God uh, who wrote down a lot of rules somewhere and was obsessed with those rules. He liked those rules more than he likes people. Um, and he's eager to judge and punish anyone who breaks those rules. Judgment is the worst, we think, most of the time. I'm here to tell you right now, that's not the God that we find revealed in Jesus. Can I get an amen? Um, and when, so as we're about to read um, these passages, um, when we hear about uh, symbolism and imagery um, at, that comes flooding our senses as Revelation's winding down, Jesus bursting through the clouds on a, you know, with a great white throne and a, and a, a lake of fire, when we plunge into those, these images, um, a lot of times we are tempted to think about a God that looks nothing like the God we see revealed in Jesus, the God who is die, dying on the cross for the sake of his enemies, a God who loves people, loves you. That's, that's the God behind all of these images. So when the Bible, as we're, when we're talking about this, when the Bible talks about God as a judge, it's talking about God's responsibility to make things right in the world. 
That's what we're talking about when we talk about the judgment of God. Just assuredly as a dentist, I come to a dentist and he has the responsibility of making things right in my mouth, getting it to a place of righteousness where everything is as it should be in my mouth. Um, That's what we're coming to right here with God as a judge. And so um, Revelation 19 and 20, um, it will change your life. We could say it this way. It'll change your life when we begin to recognize that you can go ahead and throw that slide up. Judgment is good news. It's how God saves. That's, that's what we're coming to as Revelation is winding down. Judgment is good news. It is how God saves. If you want the pain to stop, if you want things to be set right, eventually you've got to yank the tooth. Can I get an amen? Okay, let's start reading. Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. Its rider was called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war justly. His eyes were like fiery flame, and on his head were many royal crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He wore a robe dyed with blood. And his name was called the Word of God. Heaven's armies were wearing fine linen that was white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword that he will use to strike down the nations. He is the one who will rule them with an iron rod, and he is the one who will trample the winepress. Do I have it up there on the screen? The winepress of the wine. It's not in your translations. It's almost in no English translations. Bookmark it. He will come to trample the winepress of the wine of the Almighty God's passionate anger. He has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the word of the Lord, and everyone said... Thanks be to God. Most of Revelation has given us pictures and symbols and images to unveil our eyes, peekaboo, to rip back the curtain and show us how God is working in the present. Like in the present moment, that's what most of Revelation has actually been about. Since Revelation 5, since we saw this scroll, if you remember, we have been asking the question, what is God's plan to save the world? And since Revelation 10, when John ate this scroll, we have been seeing this plan unfold. God's plan for the present. God's plan, like how he's going to save the world. God's plan to save the world means Jesus's life getting into Jesus's followers. That's what Revelation has been about from beginning to end. God's plan to save the world means lamb-like love, love willing to bleed, getting into those who follow the lamb. (laughs) That's what God has been doing in the present, in the present of the first century, in the present of the year 2020. For most of the book, Revelation has not been concerned with like fixing our eyes on the future, pulling back the curtain on the future. Revelation has been 
And it continues uh, through, like through, uh, through chapter 19 to, to uh, tell us to live and love like Jesus. In chapter 12, even when it feels like we're in the wilderness. Chapter 13, even when governments look like beasts. Chapter 14, even when faithfulness costs us our lives and we go outside the city and get crushed in the wine press, the church is meant to be an army of martyrs following the lamb wherever he goes. But here, as the book of Revelation is winding down, Revelation is finally revealing unveiling, directing our eyes towards where history is headed. And it's headed somewhere beautiful. That's the good news. Revelation uh, does not depict a, a world spiraling out of control and crashing and burning as much as it feels like that a lot of times. Check Revelation 21 and 22. It's headed somewhere beautiful. The gardens of New Jerusalem, heaven and earth finally coming together as a bridegroom and a bride, meeting, becoming one flesh as it were. That's where we are headed, but to get there, to get Get to the brilliant good news, we have to pass through judgment. We have to pass through judgment. And that comes in the form right here of the same Jesus that we met at the very beginning of the book, the all-powerful, unstoppable Jesus with like verse 12 with fiery eyes and like a, a powerful sword-like word coming out of his mouth. He's, he's arriving, verse 11, on a, a white horse. Uh, that's a callback to the very first seal that we saw being broken off like a white horse. This is the true victorious conqueror who has come to judge every system of evil, every bit of evil in the world. He has come. Can I tell you where history is headed? There is a day coming in history one day when Jesus, the great lover, the bridegroom of bridegrooms, will arrive to set things right. He, and Lord knows we need that in this world, right? <laughs> this, uh, he will come, oh, you can go ahead and throw that slide up. He will come to stomp the wine press that made the wine of his passionate anger is that I'm just, I just copy and pasted the text from the Greek onto here. But just so you can see, I'm not making this up. Almost every English translation thinks that John's doing something redundant here, that he's saying like the wine press of the wine. Oh, well, he just means the wine press. No, he's saying back in chapter 14, the saints were killed in an image of a wine press. That's where the saints are killed and blood flows as high as a horse's bridle for 1600 stadia, the square of 40, you know, the, the, the period of suffering for the people of God. You can keep the slide up there if you actually want. They, they were stomped in a wine press and turned into wine. And that wine, it, John, uh, Joe was talking about it last week, that wine in the narrative of Revelation gets poured into the cup, to overflowing into the cup of Lady Babylon. It's the symbol of like evil systems from Rome to Third Reich, uh, Germany. You know, every evil system uh, gets drunk on the suffering of 
the innocent and God sowing. Uh, it's chapter 18, verse six, if you wanna make a note of it. Um, God says, I'm going to destroy this system by giving her more and more of the wine that she has mixed for herself. Evil, this is the point I'm driving at. Evil made the wine, but God transforms the wine. It becomes the wine of his wrath so that it can destroy evil. It's not God's wine press. It's the wine press of the wine. And now in Revelation, Jesus is coming to, one more time up there on the screen, I'm sorry. Um, uh, Jesus has come to trample the wine press itself. He's come to trample, to crush, to stomp down, to grind to a pulp the wine press itself. Side note here, Jesus is familiar with crosses. Jesus, is, Jesus does not come at the end of history to inflict crosses on the world. Jesus comes at the end of history to transform crosses and to trample crosses. We could say it this way. Jesus returning does not mean more crosses inflicted. Jesus returning means every cross gets crushed. That's what John's driving at here. He comes to trample the wine press, to trample everything that has been crushing people. One day, Jesus comes to crush the thing that is crushing us. That's the picture we've got as Revelation ends. The wine press has already been used to make the wine, and now the wine press has got to get crushed. Evil has got to get judged so that the world can thrive. The broken tooth has got to get yanked so that the pain will stop. That's the picture that we've got here in the, granted, in the sophisticated, poetic imagery that just overwhelms us and that you could do a PhD on. Um, that, that's the image being given to us here as chapter 19 goes into chapter 20. You've got the two beastly monsters, verse 20. It's the end of chapter 19. The two beastly monsters from sea and from land, these government system, human systems that get thrown into a lake, a lake of fire. That's what John is, welcome to New Life Manitou. Let's talk about the lake of fire. Um, <laughs> John is explicitly telling us in poetic imagery and symbol, this is not, he's not driving at like a literal lake of lava. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking, it's a symbol of destruction, of being destroyed, of a, a final ultimate second death is, is what he actually calls it. And uh, we'll get there in chapter, uh, chapter 20, verse 14. It's, this is a symbol. It's for love to heal the world. Judgment has got to fall on evil and darkness and every kind of corruption. The tooth has got to go. That's, that's how God makes a broken world whole. And, and the good news is that God will one day rid the world of everything beastly. 
beastly governments. That a, a Chapter 20 actually goes further and says that God will rid the universe not only of uh, beastly human systems, governments. It actually, uh, chapter 20, verse 10, uh, says um, God will get rid of the dark powers behind evil human systems. It says, then the devil who had deceived them, these people and human systems, was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet, that's the, the beast of sea and land, the land beast confusingly gets called the, the false prophet right here because he's just like the support system for the first one. Anyway, it's complicated. It's sophisticated. It's beautiful. You should read it. Um, <laughs> their painful suffering will be inflicted upon them day and night forever and always, or more literally, it actually just says, into the ages of the ages is what it says. Take that as you will. This, uh, let's just preface this right here and say this is not creepy serial killer Jesus right here in Revelation 20. This is not Dexter Jesus. Um, you know, like he, he seems so nice and buttoned up in his carnigan, you know, and in the, but really he's got like a torture chamber in his basement. Um, you know, you, go, you, want, you want to go to the, the upstairs of the afterlife, not the basement. Um, no. This is Jesus. Once again, this is Jesus coming to crush crosses, to bulldoze wine presses. God, here, somebody needs to hear this today. God loves you. God loves you. God is not a torturer. God is love. It's what the scriptures teach. This, like the demon locust back in chapter nine, this is a picture of what the life of evil inevitably always leads to. It leads to torment. That's what a life against love always leads to, to a tortured existence. Any existence lived against goodness, against love, if it inevitably becomes a tortured existence. And one day, God is going to take all of the ways that rebellion has been happening in the world, and he's going to, like, whether it's human corruption or even spiritual corruption behind the human corruption, and he's going to take, it's a really sobering picture. I don't mean to make light of it. He's going to take all of that corruption, and he's going to throw it away. He's going to throw it. And that includes, this is the really sobering part, it also includes anyone who's holding on to that corruption, anyone who doesn't want love, anyone who doesn't want goodness ultimately um, gets carried away with it. Uh, verse 11 says, Then I saw a great white throne, and the one who is seated on it before his face, uh, and the one who is seated on it before his face, both earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. I saw the dead and the great and the small standing before the throne, and the scrolls were opened. Another scroll was opened too. This is the scroll of life, and the dead were judged on the basis of what was written in the scrolls about what they had done. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades, death and the grave gave up the dead that were in them and people were judged by what they had done. And then death and the grave, death and Hades were thrown into the fiery lake. This, the fiery lake, is the second death. Then anyone whose name wasn't found written in the scroll of life was thrown into the fiery lake. And so in the end, Revelation is saying, there is a moment when the whole tooth finally comes out. 
We've got to restore things to health. We've got corruption has to be pulled and destroyed. In the end, even death and the grave, death and Hades, the mythical world of, of the Greeks, the underworld, take that as you will, gets thrown into this lake of fire. Can you touch death? Can you touch Hades? No, you cannot. I'll answer for you. And they get thrown into the lake of fire. And those who cling to corruption end up sharing in its destiny, is what's being said here. Perhaps Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien, perhaps he was thinking about Revelation 20 when he wrote uh, in the final book of The Lord of the Rings, uh, he describes uh, Gollum in this way. He says, Gollum dancing like a mad thing held aloft the ring. It shone now as if verily it had been, it was wrought of living fire. Precious. I'm sorry. (laughs) Pardon me. Precious. Couldn't resist. Call him, call him. Um, Precious. Precious. Precious, Gollum cried. My precious, oh, my precious. And with that, even as his eyes were lifted up to gloat on his prize, he stepped too far, toppled, wavered for a moment on the brink, and then with a shriek, he fell. Out of the depths came his last wail, precious, precious, and he was gone. So in, most of us are familiar with Lord of the Rings. In this story, what is it that needs to be destroyed? Is it Gollum that needs to be destroyed? No. We, we like Smeagol, don't we? Um, <laughs> it's the wicked ring of power that needs to be destroyed. That's the, the, the cursed ring. Evil itself is the thing that is destined to be thrown out, to be cast into the fire. But Gollum, whose life had already become torturous, clung to it, to the bitter end. <laughs> and that thing of death, hear me, the thing of death had become precious to him. That was the thing that he loved. It was a thing of death. And he wound up sharing the fate of the thing of death. He ended up going into the fire with it. That's ultimately what Revelation 20 is about. One day in human history, or Maybe we won't see it in human history, but every one of us will see it at the end of our personal history, at the end of our personal history or human history. Everything that is not love is going to be burned away. That's what revelation, God's got to do it. We're very thankful that God is going to burn away everything that is not love because we could say it this way, eternal life without judgment would be bad news. Have you ever stopped to think about this for a second? The prospect of living forever is overwhelming and and pretty unbelievable on on the best of days, but I definitely would not want to live forever in a world full of hatred and division, and racism, and despair, and vi- and you name it. I don't, I, have you looked out there? Goodness, like someone needs to sort all that out. We need a judge out there. Someone with like x-rays and a pointy thing who can like poke around and th- find the problem and says, okay, this has got to go. But here, here's the thing. 
it's more than just out there that need, someone needs to sort out. It's, it's, I need somebody to sort out me, <laughs> you know? I'm, I'm really aware that it's, it's not just a problem in the world out there. It's a problem with this funny fellow that I keep looking at in the mirror. The, the, out there in the world is not the problem exclusively. It's the, the world that I carry around in here that's part of the problem too. I've got like hangups and I've got habits and I'm often like wounding people just as much as I'm wounded by people. And I'm rebellious in a thousand ways and I don't want people telling me what to do. Even when I know it's the right thing to do, I don't want people telling me what to do. And I sometimes find myself like gossiping about people when I, when I should be going directly to that person. I've got hatred that can ignite in here. I've got despair that can flare up in here. I'm like a walking contradiction a lot of times, walking around in like this deep, pressing, apocalyptic kind of pain that I am complicit in. And I do not want to live that kind of life forever. Living like that forever would be hell, not heaven. I desperately need somebody to open me up and to poke around with a pointy thing and to make the judgment and to yank the tooth. Someone committed to righteousness, to setting things right, to making sure that everything is healthy and whole and to destroying what is destroying me. And the good news is the good news of God's judgment. The good news is that there is someone who can and will do just that. God is the great judge. And this picture of a fiery lake is ultimately, ultimately it's a picture of, about God's fiery love is what this picture is about. God is good enough and he's strong enough that one day he is going to burn away everything that is destroying the world, everything that's destroying you. We could say it this way. Judgment is the good news that makes resurrection good news. Judgment is the good news that makes resurrection good news. I want to, I want to come back into a world, be brought back into a world that has, been, that has had hatred and violence and racism and despair burned away. And he is going to, here's the good news. God is going to make living forever heaven, not hell. He's going to burn away everything that is destroying you. He's going to yank the tooth. He's going to stomp the wine press that is crushing you. God himself, he knows about this. He's already hung on a cross. He's already been crushed in the wine press. He has swam in the, in the lake of fire himself. That's what God is like. He is the one who has gone to the deep abyss, gone to the far country so that no one else has to go there. And one day he's going to appear, verse 13, he's going to appear with his robe and it's already, did you notice? It's already dyed red from blood. It's his blood that everyone else is making their robes white in. His dyed red from his blood and he's going to crush every cross, everything killing the human race, everything killing you that he 
desperately loves, he loves, he loves you. He loves you. Whether it's out there or in here, he's going to burn it away. Far from being the worst, judgment is the best. Judgment is the best. What we all need to hear and what we all need to spend the rest of our lives living into and trusting and coming back to again and again, we could say it this way, God only wants to destroy the things that are destroying us. That's what God is interested in destroying. And we will finally see God's judgment as the grace that it is when we finally let go of what's destroying us. When we finally let go. God always forever loves you. He has, hear the gospel, he has written you, verse 12, in the scroll of life. He has written you, he knows your name, before the foundation of the world stood the cross. He has destined you for life eternal, and he is inviting every single one of us to let go of the beastly, let go of the wicked, let go of the broken, let go of those things that are destined for destruction, because you are not. You are not. God is intent on your resurrection and your life right now being good news. And so he is judging. Let's uh, bow our heads and prepare our hearts for communion. Um, As the band comes, I think the invitation this morning is for um, for us to open up. That's what you have to do uh, if you, <laughs> when you go to the dentist. It's no good to come in and say, I've got all this pain. I've got this thing that's killing me. I've got this corruption inside of me. At some point, the one who will judge says, I need, to, um, I need you to open up. And so let's stand together and you can Go ahead and grab your elements. Uh, They're in the baskets. If you're new, there are baskets on your uh, rows. This is an invitation for us to open up and to invite the great judge to burn away what is killing us. For some of us, it's... uh, this week has illuminated that, you've, that you're really committed to uh, a certain political party and you found... Uh, and that's, that's good and fine to believe in that, uh, but, you're, um, but you found that like feelings are getting um, really dark this week. And maybe God's just trying to pry your, your, your hands off of um, the, uh, the earthly politics and trying to get you to fix your eyes on his kingdom that is coming and undergirding all of the human race, his kingdom of love. For some of you, it's like a relationship that you, uh, you can't let go of. For some people, it's like you're harboring, you've got like unforgiveness, that wound that just like you can't let go of. And God doesn't want, he's gonna destroy that. And he doesn't want you burned away in the process. And so Jesus, we invite you, whatever it is that we're clinging to, our favorite scrap of death, that we're clinging to. We ask that you would pry our fingers off of it this morning. And as we come to your table, that you would 
put new things in our hands, your body and your blood, and you would fill us up with your life and help us trust that you are love and that we're going to be okay. Grant it, we ask.